2: Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how.
1: As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply.
2: Hello and welcome back to the following on podcast. I'm John Norman and between now and the tour of the West Indies, which you can hear exclusively live on TalkSport2, I will be bringing you a weekly cricket roundup. And there's plenty to get us started with the squad selections being announced for that three test, five ODI and three T20 tour of the Caribbean.
3: So yeah, everything's changed in the West Indies and we've picked a squad which hopefully will be well suited to those conditions now. Just goes to show that Players develop at different speeds and the selection panel is open to people who are good enough, whether they're young or old.
2: You will hear the full interview with national selector Ed Smith and get reaction from this week's co-host, the former England fast bowler and a man who's part of our team for the Tests in Barbados, Antigua and St Lucia. What a tough gig that is. Steve Harmison. Aside from this, we will react on two tremendous test matches with New Zealand winning away against Pakistan for the first time in 49 years and India getting off to a winning start in Australia for the first time ever.
4: Yes, yes, Straight yes. up. Surely. And
2: it's and it's the captain. Australian soil. We will hear from the likes of Virat Kohli, Tim Payne, Kane Williamson and the Australian broadcaster Adam Collins joins us from Perth and we'll get Steve's thoughts on the punishments handed out to Ben Stokes and Alex Hales. You're listening to Following On. Well, I'm pleased to say from the uh, 23 degree heat of Auckland in New Zealand uh, to Ashington in the north of England. Uh, how cold is it over there, Steve? And uh, great to have you on the show.
4: Yeah, thanks, John. Yeah, it's uh, a little bit colder than 23 degrees. I think it's about one or possibly two at this moment. So <laughs> it is, it's cold, but it's lovely. I love the winter. So uh, you, can keep the, you can keep the sun for me.
2: Well, I tell you what, mate, I was obviously down in these parts last year. I'm here again this year. I'm going to be in South Africa uh, next year. So that'll be three winters away. Um, But when it comes to Christmas, there's only one place to be, and that is in the cold of home. But uh, I'll have to wait till 2020. Um, So big news this week, I suppose. We haven't got much cricket in terms of England, but the squad's... Announced for those tours of the West Indies. Let's I uh, just read them through. No real surprises, and that in itself is a surprise because, of course, Ed Smith, national selector, has done exactly that. I mean, in the last 12 months or so, bringing back Adil Rashid, even though he didn't have a Red Bull contract, Joss Butler, uh, who hadn't played much Red Bull cricket in the last two years, uh, Sam Curran was given a gig, um, quite a few left field decisions, and... Primarily, actually, it seems that they've gone Ed Smith's way, certainly gone England's way. So uh, uh, somewhat of a surprise in a way that there was no left field selections in the test squad. But considering TalkSport and TalkSport 2 have just been in Sri Lanka where that 3-0 series whitewash occurred, um, I suppose it would have been a little bit strange if there had been whole scale changes. But the... Test squad announced uh, by Ed Smith on Monday. Joe Root, of course, captaining. Moeen Ali, Jimmy Anderson, Johnny Bairstow, the new number three. Stuart Broad, Rory Burns, Joss Butler, Sam Curran, Joe Denley. There is the one um, player, we'll talk about that in a moment, who possibly would have been touch fearful uh, that he wasn't going to get another selection. Uh, ben Folkes. wow. What a turnaround he's had. Uh, Keaton Jennings, Jack Leach, Adil Rashid, Ben Stokes, Ollie Stone and Chris Wokes. So the only difference from the side, or rather the squad that was brought to Sri Lanka, Ollie Pope, the youngster from Surrey, not making the uh, the cuts. And we'll hear the reasons for that very shortly. Uh, England's ODI squad Well, the captain, Owen Morgan, uh, Moen Ali, Johnny Bairstow, Joss Butler. So quite similar there from the test Uh, squad. Tom Curran, Sam's brother, but interestingly, no Sam uh, in this squad. Joe Denley, uh, his name Reappears, Alex Hales, Liam Plunkett, he missed the start of the Sri Lanka series because of his wedding, Adil Rashid, Joe Roots, Jason Roy, there's a name I'm going to ask you about, Steve, Ben Stokes, David Willey, who returns after injury, Chris Wokes again, and also Mark Woods. So that's the squad for the T20s and the ODIs. Uh, we're going to hear from Ed Smith, who spoke with Darren Goff very shortly. From the Test Squad, though, Steve... Is there anybody in there um, that hasn't been named that should be, as far as you're concerned?
4: Um, I'd like to have seen. Look, you know, the, the selectors have got. You know, they've had. A, they've, they've took a gamble, took a punt, left field selections, and they've all they've all played brilliantly. To be fair, um, I was critical of the selectors in the summer more from the fact that. They were they were sitting at the test matches and not around the grounds. I know they can watch it on laptops and you know, iPads and things like that, but I don't think you get a feel when you when you're not there. But their the picks, the left field picks, have worked perfectly. I would like to have seen Jason Roy in the Caribbean for one of two reasons. Um, if, if Joe Denley is going to be our next opening batsman, if uh, Burns or Jennings is not firing or gets injured, then, you know, that's fine. They're going with consistency of selection. But I personally would like to have seen Jason Roy do that job. Um, and it, you, you, you could still have took Denley. You know, you maybe took one less spinner. I, I don't know, but I would like to have seen Roy in there because we've got a lot of World Cup, a lot of one-day cricket coming up. And in that one-day cricket, that's where Jason Roy will excel himself. And I'll go back to my time in 2005. Kevin Peterson came off the back of South Africa... Blowing South Africa, we're in the one-day arena, and then before the Ashes in 2005, why he got picked was when he stood up to Australia in the one-day series leading into the Ashes, and it was a we left Graham Thorpe out, and it was whether Peterson comes in, and he came in. Now with the one-day stuff coming up, if Burns and Jennings aren't firing in these three Test matches, then all of a sudden there'll be a question mark over their players going into the Ashes. And I think that's where Jason Roy can capitalise during that one-day one-day matches. If he does have an explosive series, if England go on to win the World Cup, if he is going out and hitting the ball well, bearing in mind the Ashes is at the back end of the summer and the pitches will be a lot more dry, a lot more flatter, um, and the ball will you know the ball will be nice to sort of hit through the line of the ball. So for me, that's why I would have took Jason Roy with one eye on potentially if he blows the white ball game away over the next eight months. I think England will struggle not to pick him for that first Test match. And that's why I would want him in the West Indies just sort of to be
2: around that Test squad. Mm, fascinating stuff. It's a, a great point you make, actually. Um, well, I tell you what, let's hear uh, what Ed Smith had to say. He spoke with Goffey. Uh, Ed Smith was at Lords uh, announcing uh, the squads. And Darren Goff began by asking him uh, whether this was um, an easy uh, squad to, uh, to announce.
3: Well, I don't know that any decisions are easy, um, <laughs> but obviously Ben folks did exceptionally well having come into the Tide as a call-up for the injured Johnny Bairstow. Uh, grabbed his opportunity, man of the match, man of the series. Ollie Pope obviously has played most of his cricket at 4, 5 or 6. Those positions are now occupied. Joe Root. Ben Stokes and Josh Butler. They've done exceptionally well at four, five and six. So rather than him being starved of opportunity on the main tour, we've tried to give him as much opportunity to develop his cricketing education with the Lions. So that's where Ollie Pope will start the winter.
5: And he's done really well with the Lions, by the way, hasn't he? His development, it's all good for his development, isn't he? Playing for the Lions and, t- and getting runs uh, moving forward.
3: Yeah, nothing's changed with regard to the selection panel Ollie Pope. We think he's going to be an exceptional mm. cricketer for England. He's already a very good player, and he's getting better. He's a sponge of new experiences, learning, um, and he's been the outstanding batsman in the UAE against Pakistan for the Lions. And hopefully he can have such a successful tour in India after Christmas.
5: And it looks like you've solved that problem number three situation, Ed. <laughs> I mean, Johnny Bairstow coming in. <laughs> what an innings yeah. that was, by the way.
3: It was terrific innings. I, I've always felt very strongly that Johnny with a clear mind, can bat anywhere in the batting order. He's obviously had great success in the middle order as a batter keeper. And now he's shown he can also do the job at number three as a pure batsman. So he's very well placed moving forward. He's an exceptional cricketer.
5: And one thing is, is but although they were impressive at times over the winter, Ed in Sri Lanka, which was a great series win, by the way, Keaton Jennings and Rory Burns, they look good at times, but this is an opportunity for them now, isn't it, in the Caribbean to nail down that opening partnership, which we all want them to do.
3: Yeah, absolutely right. I think Keaton Jennings showed huge character last summer, very difficult circumstances, ball was swinging, seeming, and then he... Repaid that faith straight away, 190 runs in that first test victory at Gaul, which set up the series. Rory Burns also started his test career brightly. So if they can cement that good opening partnership, that'd be terrific for England.
5: And what about the conditions in the West Indies, what you're expecting? Because if you go on last year's Lions tour there, where England went on, spin played a big part. And you're covered on an old basis, really, because the three spinners did a great job in Sri Lanka.
3: Yeah, including your old colleague and friend, Adil Rashid, who had a terrific tour. So did Jack Leach, so did So, yes, I think the West Indies' pitches have changed so much compared to the fast, bouncy pitches of the 80s when you used to see that little footage came back to England of people with a broken nose or a broken arm. <laughs> and now it's slow spinning tracks. So, yeah, everything's changed in the West Indies. And we've picked a squad which hopefully will be well suited to those conditions now.
5: And, and just quick on to the one day squad I mean no real surprises in that David Willie returns which he's deserved he's been fantastic for England over the last three or four seasons you've left out Sam Curran Liam Dawson and Ollie Stones which is no real surprise I mean Liam Dawson came home injured which is unfortunate for him because other players have took their chance Sam, with the Sam Curran situation is it a, is it a kind of a th- a where you're kind of trying to manage his workload as
3: well Ed? Well actually that's part of it it's also true that david willey as you say goffey has done really well over a period of time for england and taking the new ball left arm angles swinging the ball also a dangerous lower order hitter so sam curran's got tough competition for that slot he's an exceptional young man and every opportunity he gets he tends to grab uh i think we've got to be careful we don't expect too much of sam mm. in terms of workload in terms of expectations just keeping it sensible and monitoring his body, his readiness for the next challenge. So it's not the worst thing that he doesn't play every game for England right now because he's obviously a special talent.
5: And the Liam Dawson situation, obviously bad luck on him really, picked up that injury and Joe Denley uh, and Joe Root, are they going to share that extra spinners role?
3: Yeah, I think that's one of the possibilities. I mean, Joe Denley's been an outstanding cricketer in county cricket for a few years now. He's matured a little bit later than some players. He won every award at the end of uh, end of the 2018 season. He's played one game for England since his return in, if you like, a historically recorded game. He was man of the match in his return game in T20. He retains his spot in the white ball squad and also he's in the test squad as well. So it just goes to show that players develop at different speeds and the selection panel is open to people who are good enough whether they're young or old.
5: One last question Ed, I mean you gave Ollie Stone that opportunity in Sri Lanka, I thought he did brilliant in that first game, he showed he's not quite there his development yet but he's good going forward for England, probably after the World Cup.
3: Yeah, I I thought you'd be excited by Ollie Stone, he's got pace, he's got heart, he's got spirit, He's a really dynamic bowler. I think it's just opportunity for him. Mm. He got the chance in Sri Lanka because Liam Plunkett missed the start of the tour for his wedding. Now Plunkett's back. He's done well for England in recent months and years. So Ollie Stone has to wait for a little bit. But being as good as he is, opportunities will tend to come the way of good fast bowlers.
2: National selector Ed Smith uh, talking to Darren Goff. Um, Ollie Pope, I suppose his time will come and it does Kind of makes sense. I I thought it was a little bit odd, to be honest, to bring him into the England Test team during the summer, just gone. uh, Batting him at four when Root wanted to play there, and you had Butler at seven. It didn't quite work out for Pope, but anybody who's seen him play for Surrey knows that there is quality in there. His time will come. Uh, Jason Roy, um, the points you made before we heard from Ed Smith, I I think they make... uh, they're, they're, They're very good points. I'd love to see Jason given a go, but I still think he's got a chance. He needs to play some four-day cricket for Surrey. Um, and he p- did play in the last couple of games at number three for Surrey towards the end of the season last year. So hopefully he gets some runs on the board and uh, he puts himself into a position where he could really make a charge for the Ashes. Because I agree, I, th- I think... You know, you need something a little bit different at the top of the order as well, especially against the Aussies. Get them on the back foot. Hey, it worked with Butler. Uh, why why couldn't it work with Roy? There was another name, and he wasn't mentioned in that interview between Goffey and Ed Smith. Jofra Archer, not available yet for England. He wouldn't have been able to play in the West Indies. That's possibly why he wasn't selected. Do you see him possibly um, making the World Cup squad?
4: I do. Um, I do see him being, you know, he'd be a heavily contender to to be in that World Cup squad. The interesting thing for me is there's no Ollie Stone and no Sam Curran in that one-day squad. That tells me that that one-day squad, not only is it very, very strong, very, very settled and consistent, I think the selectors again have gone with, well, you lads have got us into the best team in the world position. Um, you don't deserve to be the one that misses out. Somebody's going to have to miss out, whether it's a, I don't know, it's a Mark Wood or a David Willey um, for Archer to come in. So one Archer's got to be on tip-top form when he comes yeah into the start of the summer. And then with the games leading into the World Cup, you know, England again, like what I was mentioning with Jason Roy, there's a decision to be made. Do you throw somebody in that hasn't, Puts a lot of pressure on the kid, especially when England are under even more pressure to win the World Cup, not only because of the best team in the world, but because they're at home. So I I think he's got a chance, but it just depends on how he's playing at the time. I think yeah, you know, it would be very, very harsh to leave somebody like Mark Wood or David Willey out for what they've done for England between now and the World Cup, just because Archer, who's been playing very, very good cricket around the world, but yet to show in the international uh, the international scene what he can do. The kid's got unbelievable skills and unbelievable talent. But the next step up, with the pressure that comes with it, I think he will be able to handle it. But he's mm. a little bit on the unknown in dropping somebody who's done really well for you, getting you into the World Cup stages, being favourites. I think that would be a you know, that would be a big kick in the teeth for somebody. But yeah, that's what know that's what, you know, that's what the, the selectors have got to decide. But I still, he's got a chance. Um, He's got a chance and it depends on form and fitness, to be fair, once the World Cup comes round.
2: Uh, Sam Curran or David Willey, if the choice was that simple, do you think that, um, you know, again, Curran's time will come? Let's let him concentrate on the test game. David Willey's done enough to get his place within that squad.
4: Yeah, I I think if you're asking me who's the better cricketer and who's the... The, the individually who has got the best skills and who's got the best tools to go and play the game, I would I'd punt for Sam every time because of you know the way he the way his enthusiasm is, his age, he's got a very very good and old head on young shoulders. But like I said before, consistency of selection, England are the best team in the world because of the formula they've got, and David Willey plays a massive part. So I don't think David Willey really deserves not to be in that group, and it's just look, how many can I pick? You know, i I've, I've got to get six i've got to get 16 into 11 never mind sort of 20 into 16 so you know sam's been sam's a little bit unlucky it's just because england are playing so well and i think david willie's been a big contributing factor to that so he deserves to still
2: be in the squad for me mark woods is he going to make it
4: yeah i think he will i think he'll be it'll be fine he, mark's had a fantastic one day sort of 12 18 months he probably hasn't getting the wickets he's he deserved, if I'm looking, I look closely at Mark because of my relationship with him. But I watched him at Heddenley last year. He only got one wicket for, I think it was about 30 out of 40 runs. And it, he bowled beautifully. He could have had three or four wickets. So it doesn't. it's not only always about the wicket column in one-day cricket. It's keeping you know, the runs down and the, the partnership you're building with another guy at the other end, especially if you've got pace, if you've got extreme pace, which Mark has. So I think another one, like Archer, if he's fit and firing, then he's done enough to to be in that World Cup squad for me, and it's interesting to see that Ollie Stone came in in the last series and bowled beautifully in Sri Lanka. I, I like this kid. I think Ollie Stone's got a great future in the game of cricket. But Mark has done enough consistency of selection. England doing well to steer in this team, and you know, fingers crossed, he is fit and firing for what will be a fantastic spectacle in, in the World Cup for England. I think if England all turn up fit, firing, and in form. Gee, Owen so Morgan's got such a such a hard task to pick that eleven, and that's going to be
0: great for England. Now hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns.
1: Yeah. Hi. Nice to meet you.
0: Hi. Now the most important thing to know is to urge in the Bipassel Rise Plug Sale.
1: The most important thing is what? Sorry.
0: The single most important thing is to urge in the Channelised Bingus of the bypassal Rise Plug Sale, and you'll be fine.
1: Uh yeah. That sounds important.
2: Does work chat sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense, LinkedIn Knows How.
6: I'm Nick Friedman, I'm Lee Alec Murray.
1: And I'm Leah President, and this is Crunchyroll Presents the Anime
6: Effect. I remember, what was that?
7: (laughs) Say what you're going to say and I'll circle back.
1: You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either.
2: so let's talk about the west indies then you're going to be part of the talk sport 2 team um i mean you had so much success there it's uh, it's going to be something to go back i guess i mean what, what are your feelings as you uh, as you look forward to uh, to returning to barbados and antigua um st lucia i'm not sure if you have ever played in st, Lu- st. lucia
4: 2008 we played one well, sure we played one day cricket there but it's, a it's a fantastic it's a it's a great place to tour different pitches now john compared mm. to what they were when when we were there in 2008 there were there were you know a lot slower um a lot they were that it, 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 it took the spin um a little bit more than what it did in 2003 or 2004 but uh, it was um you know great memories great times um, and the, the the standard of cricket in the West Indies isn't as strong as what it was. Um, but I think actually they're a, you know, they're a pretty daunting side at home. I like think they've, they've got a good formula playing in their own back garden. So, you know, England will have their work cut out. Again, like Sri Lanka, I didn't think Sri Lanka were that strong, but I thought England dominated, got on the front foot, and did put Sri Lanka under massive pressure from, from ball one. So I could see them doing that with the West Indies. Um, in the uh, uh, the turn next year. But no, it'll be great. Looking forward to going back. Um, and Talk Sport, had a, did a good, we did great. I thought we did a great job in Sri Lanka. Um, and fingers crossed it'll be the same again in the Caribbean.
2: Well, I'm sure it will, but um, we'll have to change tack just briefly because uh, whilst uh, I'm sure our listeners and uh, plenty of cricket aficionados out there would love to be talking and thinking about a few weeks in the Caribbean. Um, There's also another hot spot where cricket has been taking place over the the last uh, week or so, and that's in Adelaide. Um, the city of churches uh, beautiful spots in Australia and uh, just for once uh, the scene of the first test of the summer normally the Gabattoir Brisbane where Australia hosts the visitors first up but pressure from the BCCI meant uh, that the game took place in Adelaide what a test match it was too and, and uh, being in New Zealand it meant that I could follow it um, uh, with the sun outside listening to SEN's coverage a brilliant coverage it was too as Australia ran in India so close but in the end it was India who prevailed 31 runs they go one up one nil up But in this four match series uh, let's have a listen to what Virat Kohli India captain had to say at following that close victory for his side
6: yes uh, that's that's a very uh, positive sign especially uh, I think with the Kukavara we've, we've not been able to uh, as you said sustain that pressure for long enough in the past but the fact that they're fitter they're more um, you know they have more pace on the ball now for longer periods and they understand that their job is at certain times is just to contain. Um, so I think with four bowlers picking up 20 wickets uh, in a test match away from home, especially with a ball that does not offer you so much, is something that we can be proud of. But as I said, we need to build on this. Um, you know, We can't be happy with one test match and as I said before the series started, that we're not going to be satisfied with one test. Um, yes, we're happy about this victory, but this is what we need to build on and really capitalize on. So. We literally have nothing to lose. We, you know, we we won the last series in India when we played against Australia. We've come out here to have fun, play good cricket, and be positive in our minds. I mean, day one went against us, but the way Pujara brought us back into the game, we did not let up again for four days. So I think this time around, we need to learn quicker from our mistakes and. I think we did in this game and that's why we
2: won. Well, the bowling attack certainly impressed uh, as they did throughout the summer and you just have to wonder what would have happened if uh, India had won a toss and if they'd had Jasprit Bumrah at the start of the series as well. But uh, we shall never know. Uh, England winning that series, of course, 3-1. But uh, India will fancy their chances of posting their only ever success in a series against Australia. Still plenty of cricket to play though, three tests to go, the next one in Perth. Let's hear what Tim Payne, Australian captain, had to say following that narrow
8: defeat in Adelaide. We expect this series to be really tight so I think days like today where you make their fast bowlers come back two, three, four more times than they thought they probably had to, I think they can have a really telling impact on the back end of a a big series when it's four tests. Um, There's a lot of cricket to be played and and uh, as I said, I thought you could see signs of their attack wearing this afternoon. Um, so that's a, a really key element for us is to get lots of overs into them. And I'm no doubt India is the same for us. They want to see our fast bowlers bowl a hell of a lot of overs. But yeah, it's going to be good to get to Perth. And see who backs up better.
2: Aussie captain Tim Payne, an injury doubt actually for the second test match we'll uh, just have to wait and see how that goes. Um, Our next guest though has uh, just arrived in Perth flying uh, from Adelaide after covering that test match. The broadcaster Adam Collins uh, joins us now and Adam uh, great to have you on the show Uh, was there ever a chance or was there ever any belief uh, did you have that uh, Australia would actually get over the the line because uh, in the build up to day five few had given them any chance whatsoever Uh, so the question really is did you believe
7: no is the answer i think that it crept up on us it was one of those run chases where the top order faltered the middle order did a little better shaw marsh showed some stoic resistance um, either side of stumps on day four at the start of day five he started going up through the gears and, and with marsh Australia's hopes really rested. But when he fell, it was really down to the bowlers, which made the, the the fight back at the end all the more remarkable. Although we should have expected it. The Australian bowlers, with bat in hand, have a habit of doing special things. We saw the way that Nathan Lyon batted in, in that remarkable draw at Dubai back in October. He was equally as important to the defence mission as Tim Payne was at the end. And, and to be fair, he was equally comfortable at the crease as well. Nathan Lyon's a, a vastly improved player with the bat. And we've always known how good a player Patrick Cummins is. We saw it at Brisbane and Adelaide during the Ashes last year. So, look, it it was, as I say, it sort of crept crept up on us at the end. Uh, India did seem to um, be worrying somewhat, as you would after being in that sort of position. But I think the right result was achieved. Had India lost the Test match, it would have been a a travesty, given the way that um, India batted so well in the first innings and and really the second innings too. Well, they didn't bat that well in the first innings rather, but uh, Chiteshwa Pajara held it together after a slow start. So they managed to get to a a credible total, a comfortable first innings lead. uh, And they set the agenda for the vast bulk of the Test match after lunch on day one.
4: Stark. Uh, there was a lot of not, not too much negative press, but you know, he, he, his figures actually looked okay when you look at it: two for sixty off off twenty and three for forty off twenty. But he's he's took a little bit of stick for you know not not being the Mitchell Stark that we expect him to be, the experienced mm. player, and the the powerhouse that he. Uh, that, is there any question marks on his players going into Perth? Which would be ridiculous because of the pitch that you play on.
7: Yeah, there's no doubt that he'll play. We're, we're moving to the Optus Stadium in Perth. It's yeah. a, a new ground, but the one Sheffield Shield game they played here, it was ferocious, and and that's the way it's been prepared. They want it to be as much like the old Wacker, the good old days at the Wacker, if you like, as possible. So I think uh, Stark's demise, if you like, has been exaggerated somewhat, but uh, his figures flatter him. It's just he didn't bowl that well. He didn't bowl terribly. He just didn't bowl a house down. And I think it was noticeable it, it, with bowling with the second new ball in the second innings that he had two poor overs that stood out when Australia were trying to clean up the tail. And that's why it was so well highlighted in the media the following day. But outside of that, there wasn't a lot of criticism of his performance in the first innings. He did take an early wicket. He picked up one at the end as well. So it, was a, it wasn't it was a great performance. I'm not going to suggest that he uh, looked threatening the whole way through, but um, don't worry about Mitchell Stark, he'll be fine, he just had a bad week and, and to be fair, it's to be remembered that he's still on the way back from injury as he tends to be, so uh, I, I think that it won't be long before he's a match winner again, it's just a matter of time
2: uh, any changes expected with uh, Tim Payne picking up a, an injury on that finger again um, and also Aaron Finch you know, came very close to, to picking up a pair, uh, I was listening yeah. to SCN's commentary, you know some question marks about whether if he does play, um, and I'm sure he will he might be suited coming in down the order rather than opening in Australia that is, he did relatively well against yeah. Pakistan but it's a, a bit of a different uh, task awaiting him here
7: that's not an unreasonable argument either. He hasn't batted at the top of the order very much in Sheffield Shield Cricket or in the county championship for that matter. Remember, Aaron Finch was largely picked for this side on the back of white ball form around the world this year where he's been exemplary. Uh, he, obviously, he did bat well at the top of the list in the UAE in those Pakistan Test matches which guaranteed his birth there for the first match in Australia. But... Uh, Justin Langer did hint to the ABC commentary call uh, before day five that they're open-minded to shuffling the top order. Not who's in there, not the personnel, but where they bat. So the fact that Usman Kawaja was the opener in the UAE and the fact that Usman Khawaja was in in the first over anyway after Aaron Finch had his stumps destroyed in the first inning's third ball of the innings, I, I don't think Khawaja would mind going to the top of the list that much, whereas Finch would more than likely feel quite comfortable coming in at four or five, which uh, w- would look like a a reasonably radical shift. Openers don't tend to go down to four or five or six that often, but his game in red ball form, is it tends to be better suited to that. And that gives him an opportunity to cash in when the ball's a bit older. And bearing in mind, of course, he he's still relatively new to test cricket. The other point with Finch, though, is that he's not just there for his batting. As you full well know, John, he's a player with supreme leadership skills. He's captain of the Australian white ball team's for a reason, he's highly regarded. He's been playing first-class cricket for 11 years, the bulk of those playing in one day in T20 cricket for Australia. So he's an experienced campaigner, well-respected around the dressing room, and in the absence of Smith and Warner, he's more than the sum-of-his-parts type of player. Yes, he's important with the bat, but equally he's crucial in the way this side's being steered through a very tough time for Australian cricket. A week, I should add, that did enhance the reputation of the Australian side because they fought so hard. In the second innings yesterday, but also the way they conducted themselves. So, look, it, it is an interesting period for Australian cricket, but I think they see Aaron Finch as being really important as they as they usher in this new generation.
4: Adam, yeah, you mentioned two or three names there, and you have two names you know, that highlight, you know, Smith and Warner. You talk about uh, leadership qualities and leadership skills, and where Australia are. And just fast forward to the Ashes, come come August, I think when you when you look at England, they've only got three Test matches, I think three three or four yeah. Test matches before that. Australia, something similar, you know, where are England are in a decent place when they're looking at their test team, their squad and their team, and it's balanced, it's settled, and it's ready, and it's winning. Where's Australia at this moment? And, you know, getting Warner and Smith back into that group to get on the plane to come to England, how are are the Aussies going to do that?
7: Yeah, it's a massive task ahead of them. Australia haven't won in England since 2001, uh, so the task is a significant one, irrespective of how well they're going. We know that these days, that England at home are formidable. Uh, what I would say is, is that Australia's fast bowling, I mean, it's easy to talk about the batting, and we should, but the fast bowling is as good as it's ever been. Yeah. Uh, it's hard to conceive of a, more, of a more potent attack than than Stark Hazelwood Cummins, and then complemented by uh, the experience and, and skill of Nathan Lyon as your, as your principal spinner, with a lot of experience playing in England as well over the last few Ashes series. So with, with that all in mind, I, I think that they're not going to struggle to take their 20 wickets. And it's also worth noting that uh, when, when the first test does roll around at Edgbaston next August that a couple of blokes called uh, Steve Smith and David Warner will be in the side. So it, yeah, it, it's, a, it's sort of a, a situation where they're in a bit of a bit of a, a holding pen of sorts at the moment with a series of players who may not feature next year in the Asher series when you include Smith and Warner and may very well be Bancroft there as well who's to know.
2: Brilliant stuff. Adam we'll let you go. Uh, It'll be fascinating to see how Australia bounce back uh, from that narrow defeat in Adelaide at the ground. Uh, wow a new ground. So I was going to say a ground they do so well in traditionally but uh, yeah the Optus Stadium we'll see how that mm. goes. Uh, th- there was another um, superb uh, game taking place recently. Kane Williamson once again at the forefront of all that is good about New Zealand cricket alongside Tim Southey and Trent Bolt and he spoke following New Zealand's first series win against Pakistan away from home in 49 years.
8: From our perspective we know coming over here it, it is a, a big challenge and we want to stay in the contest uh, and show that fight for as long as we can and, and be able to be in amongst the pressure um, in terms of being able to try and apply it on the opposition for as long as we can and we know that that is a challenge because they are very clinical in how they operate Pakistan in terms of with the ball in hand uh, the way the seamers come back get that reverse swing and obviously their spinners are world-class and and the batsmen know these conditions very well as well so we we do know uh, what the challenge is uh, and it is important that we do just try and stay in the battle for as long as we can and I think we showed that uh, definitely in the in the first game, uh, and and again here in the last game. Uh, look, they they certainly outplayed us in the second one, but you know after that game it was one all, and we come to a decider, and it was important that we looked at it with fresh eyes.
2: New Zealand skipper Kane Williamson, I tell you what, uh, Harme, um, he, he he just doesn't get the credit that possibly deserves outside of New Zealand because it's very difficult to find anyone in this part of the world who could actually think of anything. Good to say about him that that hasn't been said a million times. It's a bit like Virat Kohli in India. I mean, what can you say about the guy? He is so clearly going to be the best batsman New Zealand have ever produced. And it's just a shame, really, he doesn't get to play more test cricket.
4: Yeah, that is, that is the shame that he doesn't play as much test cricket as uh, from, from a New Zealand point of view and from a fan's point of view. He is a magnificent player. You say he's going to be New Zealand's best ever batsman. He's going to be an all time great when it comes to the game of cricket because his numbers will stack up. The area he played in, yes, he didn't play as many test matches, but his stats will tell you that when he did play, he was consistent and he scores runs. You know, he is, you know, in that in that top bracket with, you know, Smith's not playing fair enough at this moment in time. But like Adam said, come August, he'll be back in the, the Australian side and he'll be scoring his runs. You know, he's not changed as a player. Um, Root has had a little bit of a lull, but he's coming back. And I think Root will start, especially with the Ashes coming up. I think Joe will be. And then you've got them three who are clinging on to you know, the shirt tails of, of Virat Kohli. And to put someone like Kane Williamson in the same bracket as Virat Kohli, the way Kohli's playing at the, this minute, tells you how how much around the world that this guy is regarded. And I think because he doesn't play as much, or New Zealand don't play as much test cricket, yes, he doesn't get the recognition, but I think people within the game understand how good this guy is. And I think once he comes to the end of his career and, you know, you, you see his, his numbers stack up, you know, this guy's been some boy for not only for New Zealand, but in world cricket as well.
2: We're coming to the end of the show. Uh, there was another big moment this week. Ben Stokes, Alex Hales, a punishment handed down by the uh, uh, Independent Disciplinary Committee uh, created by the ECB. Suspended ban for uh, for Hales and uh, um, it was decided, aside from the financial penalty, that Ben Stokes had served his punishment. I think we all feel it's time to move on. You know, you're close to the player. Do you think that finally um, this whole sorry saga is behind him?
4: Yeah, I think so. I think it shows you the way he's performed cricket-wise in the last six months compared to the six months before. I think I think you can see that time is elapsing enough for, for his he's for for Ben's game to get back to where he wants it to be, he needs it to be where England need it to be I think the correct punishment was handed out I think to ban them again would have been it would have been wrong saying wrong but because it's a serious incident that that happened but Ben Stokes took a lot of flack he missed a lot of cricket Um, he missed the ashes that that for me I'm not saying that's not punishment enough but I think I think to carry the the whole saga on would have been would would have been wrong wouldn't have been very good, uh, and I think now both Ben and Alex can put it to bed. They can get on with their game, get themselves ready for what is going to be a challenging winter in the Caribbean and obviously the World Cup in the Ashes. So I'm pleased for Ben that it is all over um, and he can get back to doing what he's good at, which is which is you know his game of cricket. Because I think in the last six months we've seen just a little. Just a little tilt in, in his form, and I think if he's going in the right direction, which he looks as though he is, he's got a, we, England have got a great chance of the World Cup and in the uh, in the Ashes because of fit, firing, on form Ben Stokes. For me, he's the best player in the world because he bats and bowls and he's explosive. And I think when you put all that package together, that he could be the miss. He could just be that little edge that could get England over the line in both series
2: brilliant stuff Harmi it's been great uh, to touch base with you uh, have a good Christmas mate and you John uh, and you I, I, I'm not seeing the Caribbean next month Eh? sounds alright doesn't it it sounds very very nice and I'm looking
4: forward <laughs> to it as I'm sitting here in the freezing cold and I love the cold <laughs> quite fancy the Caribbean for a little bit uh, a little bit of warm weather training
2: Brilliant stuff. Well, that's about it for this week's following. On the next show, uh, we'll be broadcast from here in Auckland, in New Zealand and London, uh, with reaction to the second test between Australia and India. We'll bring a bit of Sri Lankan flavour to proceedings. Uh, They have arrived in New Zealand, uh, and they will hope to rebound after that thrashing on TalkSport 2. The Big Bash gets underway in Australia, and we'll cross to the Caribbean for the first time as we continue our build-up to one of the most eagerly awaited series in the cricket calendar, which we have I might have mentioned this once or twice will be bringing you exclusively live on TalkSport and TalkSport 2 This has been Following On, to never miss an episode, be sure to subscribe either on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcast app, see you next week i
0: hold that please, level 5, thank you